God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your goodness, for your word that speaks the truth to us when our emotions don't, when our world doesn't, when our experiences may not. That your word is its a compass, it's a guide. It gives us direction when we feel directionless. It gives us hope when we feel hopeless. That we can trust in your word and trust in you that you'll do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, welcome back. Got a question for you. What are some of, no, what are some of the most typical memorized scripture? And you guys can spout them off if you want. Raise your hand and then, all right, what's the reference? I was going to say it's 11 something, probably. All right, what is it? Uh-huh. For God so loved the world. Anyone else? Other scripture? What do you guys know? What's, well, what's, what's also very common? What would you say are pretty common ones out there? Yes, that's very common. You know the reference? <laughs> Philippians... 413. Hey, Jordan. Any others? Jeremiah 2911. What is it? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Oh, thank you. That's not it. <laughs> yes. You're saying it so. Ooh. <laughs> It's true. That's right. Psalm 23. Anyone else? Where's that one? I mean, it's also in the Gospels because Jesus said it. But yeah. <laughs> Depends where you're going in the Bible. Anyways. Yes. Very, very... Typical scriptures. And there's one of them that was said already, which is what my sermon is all about. And I'm speaking all on hope. Hope, not hope as Obama gives. <laughs> A better hope. <laughs> but one of the passages talks about hope. It talks about, I'm going to give you hope in a future, which is what? Jeremiah 29.11. So I'm going to read that. Go to your Bibles if you don't have it memorized. Even if you do, go to your Bibles. Jeremiah 29.11. I'm going to stick mostly in Jeremiah tonight. Jeremiah 29.11. Let me read it here. I'm reading under the ESV here. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, or some translations say to prosper you and not for evil or to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And I'll read the next couple of verses too. Then, yeah, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart, with all your heart, wholeheartedly. Depends on your translation. You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. 
So, do you guys know who this was written to? No, not. Written to Israel? Many people know, many people in the church that know this verse, they, they can know it like the back of their hand. I mean, it was easy to say, right? For a lot of us here. And I think it's a passage that often gets misunderstood, misquoted sometimes. Um, now, it is for us, right? Like, God's word is eternal. And if his word for these people was this statement of truth and faith, it's that for us too. God's plan for you isn't to harm you. <laughs> it's to prosper you. It's to bring you hope and a future. And that's what he did, right? That's why Jesus came, is to bring us hope in a future. Without him coming, we didn't have hope. But in this passage, I think... This specific verse, it's often stuck on people's walls with home decor, right? <laughs> yeah, I believe it's probably there. I'm sure my mom has it in, in the house, too. <laughs> but many people, they know this verse without knowing Jeremiah. How many here have read the full book of Jeremiah before? Raise your hand. I'm challenging you today. Do it. I actually did it for the first time, I think it was last year, from beginning to end through Jeremiah. Um, and it's, yes. Yes, very much. <laughs> yeah. It's very, here's the thing with Jeremiah. Here's the thing with Jeremiah. You need to understand why it was written, who it was written to, and what the time was for. And all you have to do is go to the last few chapters of 2 Kings to really get an understanding. I mean, you could really read all of First and Second Kings, and it really gives you the context, gives you an understanding. And in fact, I'll read just a tad bit here for you guys. To get an understanding. Second Kings, yeah, if you want to turn there, you can. But I'm going to read just a tiny bit for you guys to see what it is that Jeremiah was speaking to. So, Jeremiah became a prophet at the time of Josiah. Now, Josiah was one of the greatest kings in the nation of Judah. And so there was a split of the kingdom of Israel into two. There was the northern kingdom, which was Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And Judah is the, the country that had Jerusalem in it, which is where the temple was. Okay? Um, and this is important to understand. So in chapter 21 with um, 2 Kings, it's got the king of Manasseh. Now Manasseh was... Josiah's father. Now, Josiah was an awesome, awesome king. He was amazing. And if he was amazing, you think his father was amazing? No, he was trash. He was garbage. <laughs> so let me read it here. Just a little bit. It says, I'll start at verse 2. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nation, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. 
for he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. The high places being there were these places where they would worship pagan gods. They would worship other gods, which, if you know the Ten Commandments or literally anything about Christianity, you know that's a big no. <laughs> it's a big problem. You don't do that. But he did it anyways. And it says, starting in verse 4, And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name, and he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering, and used fortune-telling and omens, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. That's super messed up, right? Yes. This is why you see in the Old Testament a bit of an angry God. <laughs> he had good reason to be upset, right? This wasn't the only occurrence that this stuff happened. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, like, this, there was king, king after king after king in the nation of Israel just constantly leading the people astray. Yeah, Baal was a god that they were told not to worship, and it was a god. All right. Yes, so Elijah. Yeah. So for the sake of recording, so we don't give Leslie so much of a headache of dead space. <laughs> um, let's save some of the clarification questions for the end, uh, if you have some. But in this passage of Jeremiah 29, 11, who is it written to? Yes. Luke nailed it. It's written to the nation of Israel after Babylon had come, which was prophesied, Jeremiah had been ranting about it for like a long time. Babylon is coming. And it wasn't just him. Isaiah did it too, yeah. There was more than one prophet that said this. But the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah ignored it. They didn't care. They're like, yeah, whatever. That's not true. I'm not going to listen to you. I mean, they just they sound like a bunch of toddlers. <laughs> Toddlers, teenagers, just totally rebellious, didn't care, didn't care about any of the warnings, and so Jeremiah had some things to say, and you can read it for yourself throughout the book of Jeremiah. So let me turn off the timer on this. My stinking screen keeps timing out. I might just have to leave it. So... Let me read the part that came shortly before. If you want to turn to Jeremiah 25, I'm going to read this. And this is the part that's shortly, shortly beforehand. You can see the frustration of the Lord. You can see the frustration of Jeremiah too. Um, but in Jeremiah chapter 25, starting at verse 3, it says, For 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, who, mind you, started being king at age eight. So that would put him at age uh, 21. Yeah. How about coming of age, right? 
which for them it was much earlier than that. Hence him being king at age eight, right? It says, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the Lord, or the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have what? Everyone say, not listen. <laughs> Sounds like me with my kids sometimes. <laughs> You have neither listened nor inclined your ear to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Yet this is, eventually, we get this hope-filled word from Jeremiah to the people. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. It's going to be good. My plan for you isn't bad. It's good. But who is he saying this to? He's saying this to a bunch of people that are being exiled into a pagan nation that Babylon is likened as pure evil. Babylon's used in the book of Revelation as a depiction of evil, of wickedness, of a kingdom of darkness. And that's who took him. That's who took all of the nation. And not only that, but they witness right before their eyes the destruction of Jerusalem. The, t- the, the whole city is destroyed. It's burned down. The temple itself is destroyed burned to the ground, the whole thing is just destroyed. I mean, can you imagine seeing that here? Have you guys ever seen a burning building? Like, full-on engulfed in flames? Imagine an entire city like that. That would be insane. (laughs) That would be crazy. And not only that, but Jerusalem itself is on a hilltop. (laughs) So everything around is seeing, it's like, a burning torch. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, I will make you a light on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be covered, right? I don't think that's what Jesus was implying, right? But this is what happens. Look at this. He gives them this word. I know for myself, if I just witnessed all of that happen, I would have been like, what are you talking about? There's really a plan for hope and future that God has for me when he just allowed for this to happen. He just allowed for me to witness the temple just get destroyed. Which Isn't that his own dwelling place? Where he's supposed to dwell with us? Where is he dwelling now? <laughs> Things seemed pretty hopeless at the time. Jeremiah was a prophet who was famous for telling this, I know the plans I have for you, right? When you think of any passage on hope, that might be one of the top ones that you think of. It's even when I search for it on Google, it's the first one that shows up. Verses on hope. I just wanted to see what showed up. It's number one. <laughs> first one to pop up. It's not even anything that Jesus said. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The first one that shows up is that. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it can be hard to see hope in it, though. It can be hard to see that there's any glimmer of 
a future. <laughs> you go read the book of Daniel and you see the nation of Babylon and what they're like. They don't put up with people worshiping other gods. They throw you in a fire if you do. <laughs> Intense stuff, right? They throw you in a lion's den if you pray. They manipulate things to get you in trouble, even though you're doing righteousness, even though you're doing good. You guys think things are rough here in our country? <laughs> it's nothing compared to what they had to go through. Or what other countries go through. I mean, all you got to look at is the Book of the Martyrs and see what other people in the faith go through that are following Jesus when people say don't. Like I said, the title of this message is Hope and Hopelessness. It doesn't take long to look around at the world and have thoughts of hopelessness today. And if you've been around any time in the last few years, there's some stuff in our country that's been happening, stuff in the world that's been happening, that if you dwell on it long enough, which doesn't take long to dwell on it, it starts to sink into your heart and, and give you a sense of hopelessness or is there really going to be a bright future for me, for my family, whatever? Having hope can seem almost like a spiritual gift sometimes. <laughs> but it's not. It's a spiritual practice. It's something you have to exercise. It's something you have to use and choose to have hope. Now you can choose to use your gifting as well. It's likened. It's similar. But we are supposed to be really the most hope-filled people on the planet, right? But how often do you hear from Christians such a hopelessness in the words that they say, in the, in the things that they talk about, the ways that they speak? So many believers, I mean, all, all you got to do is look on social media long enough, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of people... I have a lot of horrible things to say. And a lot of them are believers. Now just because they're saying rough things doesn't mean they don't have any hope. I mean, Jeremiah, he said some really, really hard truths. The stuff that he had to say was not good a lot of the time. <laughs> but he was just speaking the words of the Lord to people that were consistently not listening to him. And it was a fine, you're gonna, not going to listen to me, then I'm pulling back my protection. <laughs> you want to live without me? See how good it goes. <laughs> you want to worship other gods? Fine, I'll bring a nation to you that has the gods you're worshiping. See what they're like. That's what ended up happening. But Jeremiah brought hope to them in a future he told them about God's will for them being something good. It wasn't something that was just to destroy them and bring their destruction. That was actually by their own lives and their own choices that these things happened to them. And we could argue that with the way the world is today, right? Things that have happened in our country, the things that have happened around the world, kind of a result of our own choices as people in the world to bring about this stuff. 
Well, the nice thing is that we don't live for this kingdom, right? We don't live for the kingdom here. It is here, but it's not here at the same time. It's confusing, I know. <laughs> Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. It can be easy to get our hearts discouraged with stuff that's going around. I'm sure that with the nation of Israel, there's plans that a lot of them had. That Babylon coming ruined some of those plans. <laughs> they were there for 70 years in captivity to Babylon. Quite a long time. That's a lifetime, right? <laughs> to a lot of people. So many in the church... I believe have misplaced their hope into trivial things, and that's why so much of people today are heartsick. They're discouraged. They're put down. They're discouraged about how things are in the world because they're putting their hope in them. But Jesus came to give us, to give us hope in something that really matters and something that's going to make a difference that's not going to be put to shame. Romans 5 talks about hope does not put us to shame, but it has been placed there. It's something that won't put us to shame because love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be the most hopeful people on the planet. And I think for a lot of people, they've gotten their focus misplaced and it's allowed hopelessness to seep into their hearts. And it's why so many people in the world have fallen away from their faith. They're not following God anymore. Do any of you know somebody in the last five years that said, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not a believer. I'm not going to follow Christ anymore. It's not worth it. I give up. What would you pinpoint it on? I think it's hard to place it on one particular thing, but I think hope is a part of it. That they lose hope. They get a sense of hopelessness that seeps into their heart. They think to themselves, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for my life. But it's because they've gotten their focus off of following Jesus and doing his will. They just get so focused on the kingdom I want to build for God. And that's not the way it works. The nation of Israel, this is what they struggled with. They wanted to follow God their way. They're given all these instructions, all this direction saying, this is what you do. This is how you follow me. This is how you live a life for the Lord. And they said, that's great. Let's do it. But I also want to do this. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. But can I do both? <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's just going to bring destruction into the world. It's just going to bring hopelessness into your life. Those things don't have anything good for you. Really, God's trying to protect them from destruction but they welcome it with open arms. There was one passage, and I didn't write it down. There was one passage, I believe it's in Jeremiah, where they're saying, I just can't help it. I have to worship other gods. 
I just have to do it. I, I just can't stop. Don't tell me to stop doing it because it's, I, I don't have any hope to stop. I can't do it. Which in some ways was true. Without Jesus coming to die for our sins and set us free from slavery to sin, they were hopeless <laughs> to just continue to fall into it over and over. But the part that follows Jeremiah 29.11 is super, super important. So many people know 29.11, but all they know is that. All they memorize in the entire book of Jeremiah is that. They don't know the context. They don't know what's going on. They don't know anything else that Jeremiah wrote. They just know that. But the premise of the entire passage of Jeremiah, the entire book, as well as Lamentations, which is traditionally believed he wrote as well, is all in 13, 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is why they have a hope in a future. Is because even though they royally screwed up, God was still capable of being found by them. By them. I mean, think about it. When people royally screw up with us, how much are we willing to let them have a chance to do it again? Not very often, right? But that's the incredible thing about the God that we worship, about the God of the Old Testament, that if you seek me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. It's a promise that God made to us in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our hopelessness, that if we say, please forgive me, I will find you, I will seek after you, I am going to do anything and everything I can to get to you, like the woman at the well. Not the woman at the well, the woman with the issue of blood. Like her, like other people in the New Testament that were fighting to get to Jesus, you'll find them. There's no direction you can go that you can't turn around and he's right there. God is near to the broken heart is what scripture says. I think Tim actually talked about that this morning, right? You can run and run and run away from God, but all you got to do is turn around and boom, there he is. <laughs> it's just a matter of turning around that can be hard sometimes. This is the focus of Jeremiah, though. It's the, the climax of it. It's, if you take anything away from it, this is the focus of, listen, you guys screwed up real bad. It's going to suck. <laughs> and it's not my fault, it's yours. <laughs> but if you seek me, you'll find me. If you trust in me, you will not be disappointed. There is hope in that. They're likened to you know, people that run after prostitutes in the book of Jeremiah. They're likened to, yes, you're adults. I shouldn't have to explain. <laughs> it's a question I expect on a Wednesday night, okay? <laughs> What's a prostitute? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, they're likened, they're likened to that. They're likened to somebody that commits adultery. Because that's what our relationship with God is supposed to be. Oh, stop. Our relationship with God is supposed to look like a marriage, right? That's what it's comparable to, what it's likened to. Devotion to somebody and rejection of everybody else. That's what it's supposed to be a depiction of. And Jeremiah is telling them over and over, what's wrong with you guys? Get it together. Oh, you couldn't get it together. Well, sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> it gets, it's going to get really rough. But we, we can put our hope and our trust in God's word, like Proverbs 13 that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we put our hope in God, we will not get heart sick. If we do get heart sick following after Jesus, it's because we got our focus off of him. It's because we put our hope into something else, and then we go, oh, I got disappointed. I got let down. But when you put your trust into Jesus, it's a matter of no matter what ends up happening, God, I trust that you are working all things out for my good. That I don't have to worry about my future. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough troubles of its own. But he also did more than just say that. He said, I will take care of all of your needs. He taught us to pray. Today, give us our daily bread. Right? Everything that you need will be provided for you according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we put our hope into Jesus, we won't be disappointed. And I think so much of the church today has lost hope. They've lost optimism. <laughs> They've become so pessimistic of what's going to happen. What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to us? When you look at Scripture, you see persecution come in on the church, and it doesn't actually cause it to be snuffed out, but to explode. <laughs> it grows like a wildfire. So much so that the Jewish leaders at the time in the book of Acts are like, what are we going to do about this? And one of the guys says, listen, if this is not of God, eh, it'll burn itself out. But if it's of God, there's no hope in stopping it. There's no way we're going to end it. There's nothing we can do about it. If God's hand is on it, we can't, we can't do anything. And that's what the church is supposed to be, is a totally hope-filled people that nothing stops them, not even the gates of hell itself. And do you see that in the church today? When you look at the church in America, do you see a sense of unstoppableness to the church? But I feel like I don't. I feel like I see such a broken hopelessness where all we're constantly doing is waiting for breakthrough. When Jesus is saying, I've brought breakthrough. And there might be areas in life that you don't have it yet, but it's coming. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your sense of hope that I am doing something, that I am moving. 
And regardless of the situation and the circumstances, you can stand on my word and know that you're not going to be disappointed in what I do. It's going to work out. Trust me and follow me. I can't imagine being Jeremiah in a nation that was so off track. (laughs) I can get frustrated sometimes with our nation being off track, right? (laughs) I was reading in my study Bible, and it says that Jeremiah only converted two people (laughs) in the entire nation of Judah. That's awful. I hope I've done a little better than that. (laughs) But here's the crazy thing. He did exactly what God told him to do. The things that he said and the things that he did were not at all wrong. It wasn't like, oh, I've only got two people? Am I doing something wrong? Maybe my message just isn't really optimistic enough. Maybe my message just isn't hope-filled enough. No, he said exactly what God wanted him to do. Yeah, he wasn't secret family. <laughs> That's a rough church. <laughs> Two converts. One of them was his scribe. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough, right? <laughs> I mean, you read the book of Jeremiah, you see such opposition. I mean, it, it just, I was just going through, and I'm like, where should I read? What should I read? Man, I want to just read the whole book to you guys because there's just so much to it. But a lot of it repeats itself. <laughs> At one point, the people, after they're exiled, right? So Jeremiah says this word, God's plans are to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. It's going to be good. And so these exiles come to Jeremiah and they say, what is the word of the Lord? What are we to do? What does he want us to do? Which he'd been blabbing about it for year after year. More than one king. And he's like, okay, I'll go ask for you. That's why I think he was phlegmatic. If he was choleric, he would have been like, I already told you guys. Why do I have to say it again? He's like, okay. So he goes, figures out what God wants him to do. Asks him, Lord, what do you want these exiles to do? What do you have for them? What do you want me to say? What's the word of the Lord? And they were questioning, can we flee and go to Egypt? Because Babylon does not sound good. Egypt sounds better than that. And I know our history, which is saying something. (laughs) So... God tells him, no, they need to stay put. (laughs) I brought Babylon for a reason. This is their punishment. Tell them to sit in it. They have to deal with it. I'm disciplining them, basically. (laughs) So, he goes back. He's like, all right, God told me what to say to you. Here's what it is. No, you're staying. Don't go to Egypt. Not a good idea. It's going to be bad. Bad idea. Stay put. And they say, you're a liar. I don't believe you. That's not what the Lord said. I'm not listening to you. I'm going anyway. It just sounds like toddlers, right? (laughs) So they do 
and it was a bad idea. <laughs> you can go read it for yourself. This is the people Jeremiah talked to over and over and over. Kings were after they had written down what the word of the Lord was to him, took the scroll, tore it up, threw it in a fire, and said, basically, screw you. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't believe it. And then he had to go write it all down again. It's like having all your homework ripped up, and then you got to do it all over again. Not fun, you know? But this is the people that Jeremiah had to speak to. But he was supposed to be somebody that had hope and taught the other people to have it as well. Teaching them, I know this sucks. I know it's going to be hard. Keep your head up. You can put your head down and mourn for a bit, but don't stay there. (laughs) Don't stay in that place of mourning forever. He even told them to be a nation that was a blessing to Babylon. (laughs) How horrible is that? (laughs) I know for myself, it's not what I would want. These people, they're terrible. They're awful. I'm supposed to do good to them? (laughs) Yes. And then what happens? Go read Daniel. That's what happens if they choose to do good. (laughs) They get blessed. We're to be the most hope-filled people on the planet. You guys want to read something from the New Testament now? No, you want to stay in Old Testament? Go to First Peter. What? <laughs> she got you. Your mom was reading the Bible. <laughs> so terrible. First <laughs> Peter chapter three. No, not that part. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 13 is where I'm going to be reading. That's right. Suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, Jeremiah was telling the nation of Israel about their suffering for doing wrong. <laughs> they were getting exactly what they deserved. Actually, what they deserved was even worse. What all of us deserve is worse, right? Eternal separation from God, that's what all of us deserve. But Jeremiah was telling them all about suffering for doing wrong. And if you read read Peter, first Peter specifically, he has a few things to say about that. That you know, it's why would you expect anything else? If you're suffering and you're doing wrong, why are you surprised? <laughs> Which is kind of what Jeremiah says for 30 plus chapters. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter has a few things to say to Christians at the time. Suffering for doing good. Doing the right thing and bad things happening. Doing the right thing and you're going through pain. Things are stolen from you. Your house is burned. People are kidnapped. People are murdered. All because you did something nice. We got it pretty good right now, right? But if things take a turn for the worse in our country, if things get really bad, which there's a possibility of that, 
in Germany, they had to deal with it during the time of during the time of Hitler. There were Christians there in Germany when the nation of Germany was being stupid and doing terrible things. Go read Corey Ten Boone, you'll find out about it. But let me read this here. It says, Now who is there to harm you? Starting at verse 13. If you are zealous for what is good. That's something I think a lot of believers have lost. Is zealous for things that are good. Zealous for righteousness. Zealous for good deeds. Zealous for when people do something awesome to somebody else. And it's not to you. You're like, man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that person was blessed. That's just a side trail. (laughs) If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You guys want a list of things that are evil, just look around in the New Testament or the Old Testament. (laughs) But Paul had a lot of things to say about, here's, here's things that believers aren't supposed to do. They're not supposed to be rageful. They're not supposed to be malicious. They're not supposed to be committing sexual immorality. They're not supposed to be people that are slandering others, speaking horribly about other people. They're not supposed to be filled with corrupt talk. They're not supposed to be a people that's constantly trying to get revenge at people that wrong them, which if you're a Christian, it happens a lot. <laughs> You'll be wronged a lot of the time. What are you supposed to do about it? Love them. Leave it to God to handle it. Actually say, how about you hit the other one too? (laughs) That's a little weird. (laughs) But is this the way the church looks today? No. Is this the way you look today? And I want you to do some self-analysis, some self-reflection. Look at yourself in your life and say, am I somebody who has hope? Because you won't share it if you don't have it. If you don't have any hope, you're not going to give any to someone. Why are so many people in the church not sharing Jesus? I think with some of them, it's because they've lost their hope in him. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of the things that have happened in our country, things that have happened in our life. But there's so many people out there that have gotten so angry, I guess, in their faith. Angry with God, angry with the church. Sometimes it's just that they're angry at the church and they say, you know, God and I are good. But that church, they suck. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> yeah. 
doing his skinny jeans at W. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me read this again. Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Have you guys ever seen Christians in conversation with somebody who's, I mean, it's usually between two Christians, to be honest. They're like reviling each other. <laughs> it's like, wait, we're not supposed to be the ones that are committing slander. We're not supposed to be the ones that are reviling others. It's supposed to be we just take it. <laughs> if we get reviled, we say, do it again. <laughs> Come on, bring the blessing. I mean, persecution. Well, same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. But we have a tendency to get defensive. But the defense that we use isn't hope, which is actually what Peter says to you. You defend yourself by sharing the hope you have. That's what's going to make the difference. That's what's going to please the Lord. That's how your suffering for righteousness' sake doesn't turn into suffering for evil. <laughs> because you start to commit evil as a result of your suffering, then you shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but we are supposed to be a people filled with hope. And that hope that we have is a hope of a future, is a hope of eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And that's something we're to share with others and say, guess what? I was destined for hell. I was doomed to eternal damnation. But Jesus saved me. And he offers the same thing to you. Because all of us have screwed up royally. Like Jeremiah had to tell people. And they had a hope in a future. Things were for welfare through God. To prosper them and not to harm them because he's a good God who says, seek me and you're going to find me. You're not going to get that with anyone else. Nobody else is going to say that to you and follow through with it. But there's hope in me because I follow through on what I say. Anyone else would say, nah, I'm tired of you hurting me. <laughs> but not God. That's why that message is so good. That's why it's so incredible and why we have such a good hope to share with the world. There's another spot in Jeremiah where it says that he is talking about God and he's saying, I am indignant every day. <laughs> That's rough. Have you ever felt intense anger about somebody wronging you? This is God saying, I feel that every day. <laughs> How good is it that he doesn't act on it? That he doesn't act out of it? <laughs> it says that he withholds his wrath from us when we deserve it. And this is the message that we have to share with others. If God hasn't renewed the joy of your salvation, I pray that he does tonight. 
that he says, remember my goodness to you. And that that is extended to everybody. That it is open and available to all who will say, I will seek after you with all of my heart. I will not give up in finding you. And that they'll find us. Jesus himself said it. You go read in the Gospels. He says, seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be open. He says it to a church that was supposed to be the people that actually lived with him and dined with him, spent time with him. And he said, I knock at the door. Somebody kicked me out. <laughs> and he says, I stand at the door and knock. Somebody open it up, please. <laughs> and this is the church he's talking to. I'm going to end with this. Romans 15, verse 13. And then I want us to get in groups of two or three. Okay? Two or three people. And I want you to talk about something that you've lost hope in. If there's anything that you've lost your hope in. And you need a dose of hope. You need a dose of optimism. <laughs> and then also, pray for something that you want, that, that you believe and see God saying he wants to bring hope into. So Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Who wants to have some hope in this life? Not necessarily in this life, but while you're here. <laughs> while you're walking the earth, do you guys want to have hope? <laughs> do you want it to abound in you so much so that it overflows out of you and onto everybody around you, and they go, what's your deal? <laughs> Why does nothing ever get you down? I don't want you to think you're not able and capable of ever grieving and having a bad day and mourning and suffering and it gets you down, okay? You go read the book of Lamentations. Whoever wrote that watched the destruction of Jerusalem and they weren't very happy. Lamentations. They were lamenting. But throughout it, you see a sense of hopelessness. You know what? Actually, I'm going to go read this. I lied. Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> Lamentations is right after Jeremiah. It's way easier to find Jeremiah. <laughs> or Ezekiel. It's right before Ezekiel, too. Um, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah... Lamentations. So in chapter 3, we'll start there. And I'm going to start at verse 20. We'll do 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, 
My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. You guys are going through a hard day. You might want to turn here. (laughs) This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Here's the hope. Here's what gives it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sing songs on that, right? Great is your faithfulness. (laughs) Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I'm going to stop there. You want me to? (laughs) It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. (laughs) It's better it's better to bear the suffering when you're young than when you're old when it might break you. Hopefully you've learned from it when you're young so it doesn't happen to you when you're old. Anyways, this if you've never read the book of lamentations, it is all about the response when what Jeremiah prophesied to happen happened. They watch it. They see it. Jerusalem is razed to the ground. <laughs> it's destroyed. The temple, they, you, go, you can go read it for yourself and see in Jeremiah, I believe. The thing is put ablaze, burned to the ground. The temple is. This is the place they went continually over and over to make sacrifices to God. Eventually, they started making sacrifices to other gods there. It was not cool. <laughs> but this is why we can have hope. The God of this is still the same God today. We can have hope because his steadfast love never ceases. Because he is faithful. Great is his faithfulness and endures forever. It never stops. So I'm going to pray. And then get in groups of two or three and share something that you need a boost of hope in. A place that you need to get some hope. And I challenge you guys to use scripture to breathe that life into each other. Because you, you need it. That is what's going to bring you the hope that you're looking for. The hope that you need. It's what's going to ground you and see you through the sufferings that you're going through. God, we thank you. We thank you that Jeremiah didn't keep his mouth shut. Because many other people would when asked to say these things. And in fact, he even tried to at first. But then he decided, nah, it's better to follow you. So God, I pray that we would be a people that would do the same, that we would Speak out boldly when you want us to. Speak the truth when nobody else is, even when it's hard to say and it's hard for others to hear. 
God, that we would declare boldly your truth and your goodness. But first and foremost, more than anything, that we would share the hope that we have, which is that we can be saved from our sin. That we have a Savior who loved us so much that he paid the penalty that we deserve. God, I pray that we would share this hope with a world that is lost in darkness, which so much hopelessness, there's seems as if there's no way out. But we know the way. And I pray that we would be a people that would share this hope. And if there's anyone here that feels like they've lost it, that they would get that hope again tonight.